On this podcast, whatever you're dealing with, we call your this, capital T-H-I-S. Here on episode nine, Thomas's this was addiction and incarceration. There's no drugs that I, I didn't do uh, in my back in the day, um, I, except for IV drug use, usage. I never was an IV drug user because my rationale was that drug addicts shot dope. So yeah, I wasn't. The, I wasn't. A, counted. <laughs> I yeah. wasn't a drug addict. I, yeah, that, those that people. Didn't count. Yeah, those people. <laughs> those. those dope fiends. Point yeah. that finger. He's pointing the finger. People, I can see it. <laughs> Welcome to this. Seriously sucks. The right podcast when life goes seriously wrong. In these interview episodes, people who've been through major traumas and events that derailed their lives talk about times when they didn't want to go on and share how they did. All our guests are at least 10 years past their big this. They keep it real, pull no punches, and share what they wish they had known when they were in the middle of their this. Now, here is your host, the author of This Is Not The End, who knows what it feels like to want it to be the end, Nina Sossaman Pogue. Yes, this is the right podcast when life goes seriously wrong. And I'm so glad you found us. Thank you for spending some time with us here. On this podcast, we talk about the lowest moments of highly successful people, the major life events that rock their world and how they got through them, because we can all learn from their stories of resilience. And today's guest is a friend and a mentor to many. Uh, Thomas Dixon is a prominent political activist. He serves on the board of trustees for Brady United uniting Americans against gun violence. Remember the Brady Bill back in the 80s, for those of you who remember that. In 2018, he was awarded the Wiley A. Branton Award by the National Bar Association for his work to end gun violence. He was a candidate for U.S. Senate in 2016. He's been a mayoral candidate. He's a great husband. He's a father. He's a grandfather. I see pictures of his grandkids on Facebook. They're adorable. He's just a really good human, and I'm super proud to call him a friend and happy that he will spend some time with us today. So welcome, Pastor Dixon. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I don't know how to follow that, Nina. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so very much for first off for that that intro. Wow. Okay. You're, you're uh, but, so welcome. Yeah. I, I like to begin with all the big success part of your story to sort of set the stage for talking about the ways we get through the darkness, because that's the yeah. vibe of this podcast. So at one point in your life, like many of us, and like many of our listeners, I'm sure you probably couldn't see this amazing future that you have. So let's start there. Tell us your story. Ooh, yes, yes. There's definitely a time in my life where I never would have thought I'd be in the place where I, I am now. I was born and raised in the projects of Chicago mm -hmm. um, and a, a, a decent household. In my, you know, I'll be 69 years old this, this year. So to give you some perspective about born and raised. Born right. and raised don't mean the same thing to everybody. <laughs> born, being raised in the projects, you know, it presented different challenges and different actually different behavior patterns. Um, so um, I told the straight and narrow for my first eight years of, of elementary school. And then um, my high school, some of my high school years, I told that line. But uh, in the 60s, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, the thing to turn on, tune in and drop out. 
So I kind of embraced all of that. My <laughs> ideal, even though I was in Catholic seminary, my what I really wanted to do was get out to the West Coast to hate Ashbury, where all the hippies were at doing their thing. I wanted <laughs> to smoke dope and all of that, you know. So that's what I wanted to do. But then in project life and growing up in Chicago, the the things that were acceptable, the behaviors that were acceptable were as you got older, um, you know. Uh, using drugs and, and you know smoking drugs and, and selling drugs and drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes that's what being an adult male in the project was all about so these were accepted behaviors right. but as I ventured down those pathways from about age 16 15 16 um, never ever thinking that I would at any point become addicted to any substances I found out though that after, uh, I guess, maybe six, seven, eight years of this lifestyle, uh, there's no drugs that I, I didn't do uh, in my, back in the day, um, I, except for IV drug use, usage. I never was an IV drug user because my rationale was that drug addicts shot dope. So <laughs> I wasn't, a, I wasn't, a, <laughs> I yeah. wasn't a drug addict. Yeah. That, Those that people, didn't count. Yeah, those people, those, <laughs> those dope fiends. Point yeah. that finger. He's pointing the finger, people. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those drug addicts. But um, uh, and, and it's, it's something that I realized that um, um, in, in looking back, that nobody actually starts out to become an alcoholic or a drug addict. And everybody says the same thing. I've got control of this until one day they get up and they don't have control of it anymore that whatever the substance is has control of them and so when i realized that i was you know i was hopelessly strung out as an alcoholic and a drug addict um i began this this period of actual self loathe self loathing i hated myself i hated the lifestyle i was living i wanted out of it i didn't know how to get out i didn't have the power to break free from the addictions uh I was lost. I was lost. Fortunately, during that time, I actually met the love of my life, who, by God's grace, I'm still with, and has given me two beautiful children. And uh, from those two beautiful children, we have now uh, um, their spouses and our grandchildren, our three grandchildren. But um, it, it was a rocky road, though. Um, I decided one day that uh, I was sitting up watching television, actually, you know, television. Some of us know television. We used to go off at night. Oh, yeah, the it, flag would come 20, up. Uh-huh. 24-7, the, yeah, the armed forces thing would come up. I was sitting, trying to figure out what I could do. I was like 31 years old. I was like, and so I saw this, um, the armed forces thing. I was like, I wonder if I can get in the military. I'm not too old or whatever. So the next day I started actually trying to figure out how to get in. And I wound up getting into the Navy. My rationale was uh, threefold that I could, one, um, get a regular paycheck, two, uh, provide benefits for my newborn son. My son at that time was uh, going, was two years old. Um, and uh, three, which is actually the most, was the most, the foremost thing in my mind at that time was I could get away from these drugs and the lifestyle that I hated. I could, I could get in the military and get solid foundation and become that person that I knew that I wanted to be. Because it was a great when, idea. When you're in the community, I'm guessing when you're in that community of drugs and you're in that mix, it's hard to get out of that vortex that's just keeping you there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I did manage to get accepted into the, into the military, into the Navy. 
Uh, mm -hmm. And the day I left, half of the community, I, I left like, it's like 7 a.m. or something like that. I was picked up to go to the station and half the community was out there because they, they didn't believe it. I'm like, Dixon, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> You're not going. <laughs> Man, well, they, they wasn't Dixon. It was Slick. That was my nickname. Oh, Slick. You ain't Slick. going nowhere. Oh, I'm yeah. totally using that sometimes. <laughs> Tom Slick. Okay, Tom Slick. Slick. <laughs> Slick Dixon. But, um, uh, yeah, I got on in the car, and I started the, that military journey. I thought that was going to be my salvation. But I realized uh, not long afterward that you can change the locations um but the demons go right along with you they just change faces and so for the six years that i was in the military i was still uh hopelessly strung out um and everywhere i went be it the west coast because i left chicago went to the west coast up the west coast came back to the east coast philadelphia from philadelphia back to, i mean down near the charleston um the demons went right along with me. The faces just changed. Uh, and it was even worse because I had a regular paycheck coming in. Um, that first year, right after boot camp, I married my wife. Uh, it's not a former wife. It's, it's still my wife. Right. That Same wonderful way. lady. That wonderful lady. That I don't understand why she stayed with me to this I day. Her. She's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, we married right after boot camp while I was in my core school. Uh, uh, I was a hospital corpsman. That was my first job classification. And then I, we left there and went to the West Coast, Oakland, California, um, where I went to my C school. I became a surgical technician. So in my history, I've done everything from uh, in, the, in the surgical suite, from assisting in total joint replacements. I've had my hand on a human heart. Um, I've delivered babies. I've helped deliver babies uh, vaginally and through cesarean section. I've got a, a pretty vast past, but still in all of, inside of all of that, I was under this cloud of addictions. So six years later, after leaving you know, the projects, trying to get away from it, I actually was forced out of the military uh, because of uh, repeated positive urinalysis while I was in. Uh, and once again, I continued to hate myself uh, in my, you know, in my addictions, uh, it, it was, you know, that self-loathe, it's self-loathing. Um, I, when I came back home after those six years and we reunited in Charleston, reunited with my wife and my family and my son at that time, fortunately, I was able to come out of the military with an honorable discharge. It was a just it, it, a true miracle, mm -hmm. uh, God's provision and uh, looking retrospectively, because I hadn't started this faith walk that led me to Pastor Dixon yet. I was still, uh, you know, a wretch <laughs> in the world, but looking retrospectively that I was being actually protected, you know, for, for, for a time, for a specific mm -hmm. time. So I had opportunities available when I got out of, when I was forced out of the military, um, because I still had an honorable discharge. So I started working in the business world and in uh, loans and finance and rent to own and things of that sort. But I was still being driven by my addictions. Right. So that was a problem. Now I'm working in, in finance with addictions. Yeah, that's a dangerous combination. Yeah, I didn't. Yes. And I didn't get the nickname Slick for no reason at all. <laughs> uh, I, I, they, <laughs> that was the reason for that. 
so um, in the companies that I was working with, I knew how to manipulate books. Uh, mathematically, I I've always been pretty good with math. So I, I knew how to manipulate books in order to accommodate my, my drug addictions. And, um, uh, and still hating myself as I did it. That, that right. was the crazy part of it. And for the next 10 years, I was basically circling the drain. Um, as, uh, as I was fueling my addictions through theft, um, uh, it, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. But, uh, and I wound up actually at one point, because, you know, my wife and I, we were still together. At one point, she actually left and went to her mother's, um, and which was, it really broke my heart. But I, I wound up living in the drug dealer's house uh, wow. at that time. And that's where actually the change occurred while I was living in the drug dealer's house. Um, a few days, some, somewhere in between Christmas and New Year, uh, I decided to do something. I got to talk about the faith aspect of it and my, my transformation and what I attributed to. I stopped inside of the house, drug dealer's house in the middle of the night. I was only one up. I was out on the, like a patio porch by myself. And I literally got down on my knees. And that was the first time I'd really gotten down on my knees and I, I, I begged God for help. I was like, you know, you know, you know, the years I've hated myself, you know, how much I, I, I loathe the lifestyle I live. And you also know that I've tried to stop, but I can't do it. But and my prayer was, I, I believe in you. I've always believed in you since from a little child and I believe in miracles. And so please, you know, take this thing away from me. I can't. I can't do it. I don't want to live like this anymore. And um, well, I got up off of my knees and I went and got high that night and <laughs> moving forward. But a month later, and now for, for 30 years of my life, I've been in this drug uh, lifestyle mm -hmm. and never got actually gotten arrested for anything. Never been to a real jail. I, I wound up in the brig in the military for a couple of months, but never in civilian sector. A month later, I wound up arrested and that started the journey to where I'm at right now. Um, uh, there was, all of the creature comforts were taken away, of course, the Berkeley County Detention Center. Uh, I was uh, separated from a family, of course, uh, clothes taken away from me, um, three hots in a cot, in Berkeley County the Detention Center, you didn't have, there was no canteen operation there, so you could actually buy a candy bar, a soda, and all of the creature coming. The, the windows were painted black, so you couldn't even see outside. And um, visitation was through a partition, and only my wife could come visit. The children couldn't even come visit. And so I kind of had everything stripped from me. And because there was no canteen, they also didn't have any kind of um, um, recreational reading materials there. And the only material that they allowed you to read was a Bible. You can have whatever religious manuscript that you, you, you of choice. Uh, of course, for Muslims, it was, you know, the Quran. For the Jewish people, it was the Torah. Uh, so um, I, I had a friend that a couple of years earlier had been born again, and he bought me a Bible. I didn't care anything about it. And, but I know, I, I, I knew, I figured my wife might know where it was. So I asked, I called her one day and she accepted my phone call that time. <laughs> God was at work there. <laughs> yes, he was. Yes, he was. But I asked her if she knew where that Bible was and she brought it to me. And 
I started reading and that was the beginning of the conversion where I went from understanding that the lifestyle that I was living was about me, that it was all selfish, selfishness and self-centeredness. And it wasn't about why I was actually created and I was created actually to benefit others. And it, it changed my perspective. It changed my um, everything. And my delivery, the delivery that I had prayed for a month earlier came during that period of time when I was in Berkeley County Detention Center. I was there for eight months. Uh, but it came during that time. Uh, that, that's what changed. That's where the, the darkness was pierced by the light. Um, while I was there inside of the, the jail system, I came home for a minute and wound up going into the prison system from there for uh, three years. And um, that's where the, the journey that was started in the detention center, that's where it was being perfected at. Uh, so I saw the real mission was for my life. And that, and it was that illumination in my heart that led me to do the things that I do now and to never go back. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say early in your story, you had hate, hated yourself and had self-loathing. And, um, but when you talk about being incarcerated at different points and for those years, I think a lot of people listening um, may go, well, how did you go from the really self-loathing part because that's hard when you go through something really big in your life and you feel like life will never be the same there's just no good answer like those dark places um mm -hmm. did you have times where you just wanted to end it all did you have those thoughts yeah the primary times when i wanted to end it all happened while i was free while i was consuming drugs and i think that uh and that's one of the reasons why i cannot be judgmental of others who are trapped in addictions because i've been there and because I knew how much I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how, but there were those times when I would get paid on Friday, had every intention on, because I was a functional addict, so I kept the job. Um, I had every intention on going home and, and, and doing good with the family and a couple of things. And it was just that one thought, well, I guess I'm gonna stop and have a beer on the way home and wouldn't make it home until Sunday night, maybe even Monday in time to get changed up and go to go to work. But in between those that, that time of making the decision to stop, say, for a beer to coming back home, penniless, uh, disheveled, that's a kind word, disheveled for me, yeah. the condition that I made at home in at times. But during that time, there were multiple times within that time span of those multiple times that this happened where I was like, I can't live like this. I, ca I can't do this. I, it'll be easier if I just give up, if I just quit, if I just take my own life, it, it would be easier for me to do that. But something led me to continue on knowing that, you know, the, the shame and the embarrassment of having to go home and say, you know, wife, I had the money, but, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was brutal. So is that, I don't think that's a word, self-brutal. I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> I think you can coin that and own it. But yeah, it was brutal on yeah. yourself and it was self-inflicted and it's just, oh, yeah. and you did it repeatedly. And yeah. that is a hard place uh, to mm -hmm. be in. And could you imagine that you'd get to do and all the things that you do now and you have such an amazing, great life now and you help so many people 
you, the fact that you've gotten to this piece, um, it, it's really hard to think about that when you're in the middle of it, that there is a longer life out there, an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So so when I when I did, because I didn't realize, you know, when I got locked up, that this was the answer to my prayer. I, that was the farthest thing from my mind. The, the, the self-loathing came there, I, but it was it was more about being caught and in this predicament and trying to get my no good friends to get me out and all of this here and understanding that you lose friends as soon as you get locked up. It's uh, another lesson in there. But Yeah, I wanted um, to talk about that. The people around us are so important. You've talked about your wife, yeah. you've been married 37, 38 years, I think. The people in our lives are so important, the good ones and the bad ones. So talk a little bit about the people along your journey, mm -hmm. things that things that you had to do that could help our listeners who may be in that spot. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, along the way, I, I met some really good people, you know, coming up in the projects in particular, um, people who I had to just watch. Uh, well, I learned, you know, as my life progressed, that they were actually caught up in the same cycles that I was caught up in. So when, you know, I've lost many of them, you know, death, prison, um, gangs, guns, drugs, the whole nine, I've lost many of those who came up with me, um, many who weren't able to get to the point of escape as I did, never came out of that darkness and into that light. Um, but I've also met those who are intentionally evil, and I'll just put it like that, whose quest for power, greed, will allow them to hurt people in any kind of way without any remorse. They have no heart, they have no soul. They know that selling drugs to people ruins lives and they don't care. They will manipulate as far as they can go. Yes, I know those folks. And those and are the people you need to somehow distance yourself from those po folks are still out there bingo now that's what i learned during my time of incarceration that was once my head cleared up once my heart cleared up that message was loud and clear to me you can't go back to those same people and expect to make it out of that because they're waiting on you they're waiting on you to get out and they're going to do the usual things that are done especially by drug dealers Drug dealers, the first thing they're going to do is say, this one's on me. <laughs> Here you go. Welcome Here you out. Go. Here you go. Welcome Congratulations. Back. Yeah. Yep. And that's the start of that long road back to where you was at. And I decided I was not taking that road back. I almost slipped once. But that lady, that, that lady, that lady came to the dope dealer's house and got me. She said, nope. Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah. Not going back this way at all and i got in the car with her and i sent word back to those friends and i said you know almost got me but you didn't and from now on i don't have any problem with you all but if you're going to meet me meet me in church don't wear your nice suits don't draw, drive your nice car come nice and casual to church meet me in church and we'll talk then but i'm not going anywhere with you that those days are over and that was that one time um in the last 21 years. And uh, so here I am today. I'm good, I'm good. But yeah, that um, in, 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 when I was in county jail, right after being locked up uh, in the detention center, I was learning then too. I was learning mm -hmm. about 
the you know those that are in the prison system and their their desire not to be a part of that they want to get out and um to be the 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 heads of their families and take care of their children and everything but that self-loathing when i first went in was mainly because i had been caught and i think that everybody most people actually wind up that's another level of self-loathing. It's not the honest self, self-loathing of hating oneself for the lifestyle that you're leading um, because you can't find a way out because you can't you do it on your, on your own and get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another self-loathing that's actually, I think, like a pseudo self-loathing when you get caught and now you're in a predicament and you can't get out, you know? So it is. But there, there, was a, there was a willingness and let me just add that in there. There was a willingness to change because of realizing that that's not the life that I wanted to lead. And for many, many who followed in the same lifestyles that I did, many have that same desire. They just never see the escape route. And it's finding that escape route because one of the things you don't want, and you've done such a good job of this, is for that to define you. Now, you have Mm -hmm. made that part of your story as you mentor and help other people, but you did a really great job of not letting this define you, but keeping it as part of your story. Mm -hmm. Um, You do a lot with gun violence now. We didn't talk about the reasons you were arrested, but there were Mm -hmm. guns and things in there. Um, Yes. So what is your advice to young people who think, I don't want this to be any part of me in the future? Sometimes, like you, you, you've chosen to make it a part of your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that the, the advice is, it, it's, it's, two different, it's two different levels of advice. Of course, to the younger individuals that are out here, the younger, younger males and females that are out here uh, about not following the status quo, don't believe the hype, uh, believe that education is a good thing. Uh, don't believe the uh, stereotypes about nerds and all of that. No, nerds are the ones that make it and, uh, and don't fall victim to this, this foolishness. Um, uh, my message to a younger generation is always going to be, if I only knew what I knew now back then. Uh, I came out of the prison 20 years, out of the prison system 20 years ago. And you see the accomplishments that I've made in this time. Just think if I would have started making those accomplishments 50 years earlier or 40, 30 years sooner, what could have been done? Who knows? Our, our whole system might be different. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, you are a force course, to be reckoned with. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all, it's all, and it, not to glorify anything in my past, but it's all based on what I went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that experiential knowledge that gives me uh, an opportunity to speak to everyone on different levels, uh, where right where they're at, and not with pretension. I don't I'm, I don't deal with pretension, pretentiousness. Um, I'm not I I I, I, I can't be judgmental of others. I had Thirty years of alcohol and drug addiction. I've been sleeping and I slept in the gutter. <laughs> I, it, the thing, some of the things I could talk about on this podcast, we don't, we don't want to get into. <laughs> Maybe that's a different podcast. We'll have to yes, do, come yes, up with a yes. fun name for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I could never be judgmental of others coming from where I came from or, or to speak condescending to others. I can't do it. And I see so many 
who are in positions to help people and that's how they address other people. And, and, and that tells me just where their hearts are when it comes to helping. And so I push the way that I do based on my history, but also with that same understanding that what if, when I talk about what if, what if, what if I would have started doing this in, in 1980? I don't, and I hate to talk about me, but where could we be collectively? Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've been trying for the last uh, 20 years from come, since I came out of prison to make an impact. And um, I, think I've, I think I've done so. I have to look at, at what I've done as, as tree planting or, 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 or planting a garden or, or anything or, you know, we, we plant the seed and it doesn't automatically just sprout out. It's like, you know, like in the, in the, in the cartoon, <laughs> put it down, it's like, bloop, there it is. <laughs> Magic. But, but in, in, in seeking justice and trying to plant the seeds of love and consideration, kindness and respect for everyone, you plant the seeds, you continue to water those seeds. And just like with any plant, they have to take root first. Those roots have to get strong. Then you have a bud that comes out of the but it doesn't just spring up on it. It has to grow, it has to be watered, it has to be nurtured. And ultimately it will produce the, the fruit that, that, that we're looking for based on the seed that was planted. Right now, for me, that's been my life for 20 years. And the garden though is the world, it's our society. Had I started tilling this garden though in 1983, mm. You make such a good point. Uh, I think we all get impatient and we want to be wanted to be done or magically grow quickly, like in the cartoons. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. difficult to have that patience. And certainly if you're young and you're listening, having to, you know, if you're in your 20s and you're thinking, what am I going to be like when I'm in my 50s like me or in the <laughs> 60s like you? Like, it's hard to imagine that. But there is something really, I think, calming to think that all, that wherever you are in your life right now, all the years ahead of you are blank. You could make this your 1983, uh, mm -hmm. as Pastor Dixon did. You could make this your change now, yeah. and you could make this your 1983. You, you say 20 years you've been out. Was there a point when you said, I'm past this, like, I'm better now? Like, how many years past it were you like, okay, I, I'm done. Like, I, I got past this thing. Or do you feel like you're always in the journey? Yeah, to be honest uh, about that, um, I never consider myself as being past that lifestyle that I live. Um, I think that's a dangerous space for anyone. I think that it's better to stay on guard. So when I when I go into into the store, uh, I, I'm not one to quickly walk down the liquor aisle or the beer aisle um, mm -hmm. because the temptations are still there. Um, I don't necessarily, although, you know, I've, I've been in, in red dots, uh, but I don't regularly go in those. Um, the, uh, I, I, I won't, I refuse to let my guard down. So to even think that I've like arrived, I, it, it opens up the door to let the guard down. And I prefer not to even consider it that way. Well, this has been great. I always uh, like to wrap up with th three questions that we always address on this podcast. So here they go. You ready? Mm -hmm. The first one, 
if you could magically go back in time, uh, what would you say to your younger self? If you could whisper something in your younger self's ear, go back, what, what time would that be? And what would, what would you tell your younger self? Wow, you got a harder question for me? <laughs> uh, and can I go back with a bat? Because <laughs> I, I had a hard head and see something, you have to, you have to whack them a little bit, something. But no, uh, I, quite honestly, uh, I would tell myself right at the age of 15 or 16 to know that life is fun it's it's supposed to be fun but be careful of the pitfalls that are lying ahead be careful about um about making it all about your own freedoms uh i would tell myself you know don't don't smile when they re-nickname you slick that's not it's not anything to be proud of. Um, Thomas is a good name and you come from a good, a good background. So stay there. Friends, have friends, but don't become the friends. Don't let their lifestyles become your lifestyles. Live, you know, and I was an, an independent person, uh, but I still uh, allowed the, the, the lifestyles around me to influence where I went to. So those would be some things I definitely would tell myself. And also don't count yourself out when you make mistakes because you're gonna make mistakes. Nobody's perfect out here. But to, you know, to uh, hold yourself to certain standards, but if you don't meet the, the standards, just clean yourself up and get back up and keep going, keep moving forward. And, and trust, trust that the future is yours, uh, is available to you um, if you just make right choices. So I think that that would be something that I would love to take, to tell myself, a, young, a much younger self, especially if I didn't have a bat handy, handy to, to just whack me. <laughs> you crack me up okay the next one which is similar but a little different what is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew then mm. uh, the primary thing that i know now that i wish i knew then was the deceptiveness of substances that the lie that you have control of a substance, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, it's purely deception. And for every person, it's, in, it's different when the day will come when you no longer control the substance and the substance will take control of you. And when I say substances, it doesn't necessarily have to be drugs or alcohol. It could be mental thought processes. It could be and, 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 you know, it's our social economic conditions or, or whatever we, I mean, even, even relegating oneself to a poverty mentality to say that uh, a $7 minimum wage job is all I can have. You, you have to be able to understand that there's a point in life where you'll begin to accept this as your life. 
uh, and don't 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 allow yourself to get to that point. So I would definitely that's that's the one thing I would want for myself or anybody else to understand is that um, don't take don't take whatever you're doing for granted that you have control of it because there's that that thing could flip at any point at any time in life one second you got it and the next second you don't that is excellent advice excellent <laughs> advice and the third question and we have a lot of listeners that come into this podcast from all sorts of different big events in their life we call them their this is like what is the big this thing that you're dealing with so um for, for the folks who are listening, what is one thing our listeners can do today to help them get through their own big this, whatever it is they're dealing with? Well, I asked in the first question, can you find a harder question? Is it, and you found it. <laughs> <laughs> you found it. Uh, okay. <sighs> one of the things that I always um, put out to others is to not, not allow this moment to define your next moment don't let your yesterday define what your day today is because tomorrow will be a different day i'll tell anybody you know the sun is going to come up tomorrow it's a new day coming no matter how bleak things are right now in the next minute things could change totally for the better look toward that have that attitude have uh the hope that we 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 know will take us to the next moment um yes things can be bad in a certain situation uh and try we should all try our best not to stay in those situations but those are the physical aspects of the situation some situations are here and they're in in our in our minds and they're in our hearts and so to move beyond that point, we have to do something internally. We have to take ourselves and our minds to another space, another place. And that other place for me has always been, and I'll encourage anybody to understand that uh, scripturally, it says that weeping only endures for a moment or for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. To hold on to that fact, that's gotten me through many situations where I've really been down on myself, where I felt bad. Uh, I wasn't Pastor Dixon at the time, but I knew the word. I knew enough of the word to know joy coming in the morning, and I'm going to hang on for that joy, uh, no matter how bad things get. Uh, and I've been through some bad times, but when I look at the, the manifestation of that belief in my life, having gone through 30 years of alcohol and drug addictions and some things that we don't need to talk about on a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> but to see what's happened in the last 20 years, I can't, I can't describe the, the self-satisfaction that I have uh, because the night, the night closed in 2000 and a new day dawned for me that year. And I've been able to help people consistently. And there's nothing more rewarding than to hear somebody years later come back and say, you know, you were there for me in my worst time. And you held my hand. You didn't say anything for me, but you were there when nobody else was. And that meant something and it got me beyond that point. So 
for anybody that might be going through a rough patch, know that trouble don't last all, all time, all the time. A new day is coming. What is this? Uh, the um, song Crystal Blue Persuasion from back in the day. <laughs> Look over yonder, what do you see? The sun is rising, definitely. A new day is coming. People are changing, ain't it beautiful? Crystal Blue Persuasion. Sometimes when I feel down, I hum old songs too. <laughs> I love it. Joy yeah. is coming in the morning. You heard it Joy from Slick. You heard it from yeah. Slick right here. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> Slick said that. <laughs> well, Slick, thanks so much for sharing this time with us, Pastor Dixon. You're fabulous. I'm sure there's some things that you said that really resonated with our listeners. Um, how can they follow you, support you, get in touch with you if they're interested? Hey, holla at your boy. <laughs> you're on facebook no, i know you have a community yeah. on facebook yeah on facebook you can look up thomas dixon not pastor it's not on there facebook wouldn't let me put pastor dixon on there so i'm just thomas dixon it ain't no slick now nah, don't look for slick <laughs> you're gonna get the wrong person yeah that could be dangerous <laughs> yes but thomas dixon on facebook uh my other pages are dixon for justice that's me uh, the coalition, people united to take back our community. That's me. Uh, my cell number is on all of my Facebook pages. Uh, and if anybody's interested, it's area code 843-437-1949. That's Pastor Dixon, 843-437-1949. I, I'm, I'm not trying to hide from nobody. If you need help, if you need, if you're in the, if the middle of the night and you're just having a rough time and it ain't going right for you, you need to reach out, holla at your boy. <laughs> I'm, that's what we're here for. That's why I was preserved 30 years of preservation. I was preserved for this time uh, to be here for those who might be in need, okay? I'm only as good as we are together, but together there's nothing that we can't accomplish. Excellent. I just love your transparency. I love that you're throwing out your number and willing to be there at any hour of the day for folks. There are not many people who would do that. So thank you so much, Pastor Dixon, for being here. And thank you so much uh, for everyone listening. And it is when we talk about the really tough stuff that's gone on in our lives that we all get stronger. So whatever you're going through, you've got this. The you 10 years from now, think about it. The you 10 years from now is counting on you to get through this. You've got this. This has been another episode of This Seriously Sucks. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Nina Sossaman Pogue and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. For more resources or to share your story or to get a free copy of my book, go to mythis.club. There's a whole club of folks out there who want to help you get through this.